0: Welcome to a Tech Moment on Cannabis Tech. I'm your host, Christina Etter. In this podcast, we take just a few minutes to talk about the exciting science and technology that is impacting the cannabis and hemp industries. And starting last year, we invited Matt Carr, who's the Chief trends Strategist at the Oxford Club, onto the show to talk to us about investing in cannabis. And I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Matt back today for 2021 and to talk about this new upcoming year, what to expect, the changes that happened in 2020 that are going to impact the uh, investing industry or the investing in cannabis moving forward. So welcome back to the show, Matt.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely. Happy holidays. It just seems like uh, I think everybody is just excited about 2020 coming to a close this year.
1: I I know I'm very excited for, for 2021, put 2020 behind us. The market did well. We had our portfolios did very well. But there was so much other stuff in 2020 that I'm just ready to be done with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Couldn't agree more. So let's get started on this year's, um, you know, kind of the environment that the cannabis and hemp industries are looking at. But let's segue from the last podcast that we had where we talked about the upcoming election and the different things that could impact the cannabis industry moving forward. Now that we know what the election results are, and I mean, it was amazing to watch five new states come on board with legalization of cannabis. So talk to me a little bit about how you feel the election results are really going to impact us moving forward in the, in the cannabis and hemp industries.
1: You know, it really was an, an historic kind of year for the cannabis industry. You know, In the weeks leading up to that election, as I said on your podcast before, I said no matter who won the White House, cannabis would be that clear winner on Election Day. And I'm happy that's exactly what unfolded. We had those five states that had legalization measures on the ballot, all get approved. Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota, they all greenlit adult use. Meanwhile, you know, we had Mississippi, give the thumbs up to medical. And in the blink of an eye, you know, we now have 15 states in the District of Columbia that now allow for adult use and 36 states for medical. So this is, this is a, a very interesting setup because just four years ago, In the 2016 election, four states legalized adult use, California, Maine, Massachusetts, and Nevada. And if we go back to 2012 election, Colorado and Washington became the first two states in the country to legalize recreational use. But this is a very historic kind of period because those Colorado and Washington votes were very important. Since those states' greenlit adult use, support for cannabis legalization has risen 20 percentage points, to a new all time high. This is why we're seeing the market expand at a more rapid pace with each election. Now, as we look ahead uh, to the year ahead, I am still remain firm on my conviction that the global cannabis market is gonna be worth $200 billion by 2030. And of that, the United States will represent about $80 billion. So these five states, they're gonna bring in about $9 billion cumulatively of new, of new revenue by 2025. So that's well on our way to, that, to, that, to that, those goals. Um, so we know that Biden and Harris are in favor of legalization, particularly for medicinal. But here's my kind of de- uh, takeaway from all of this, and it might be a little contrarian. Uh, at the federal level, I don't know how much really changes in the short term, right? So the last eight years, it has been the states that have paid the, have paved the way for legalization. In fact, if we go all the way back to California legalizing medicinal use in the 1990s, you know, the states have really led the charge for legalization. So the problem is now cannabis has become this, this partisan issue. We saw this with the passage of the recent passage of the Moore Act in the House of the 164 dissenting votes, 158 of those were Republican. So unless the Democrats gain control of the Senate, which, you know, we'll see what happens in the, in the Georgia runoff races. uh, The fact that it's controlled by Republicans at the moment, uh, I think it'll continue to be a place where cannabis legislation goes to die. Like, like we had with the safe banking act. So at the federal level, besides, you know, having the support from the White House, uh, I don't know if much changes until the control of the Senate is flipped. Uh, if that happens, you know, <laughs> you we'd know, we'd have a, we'll have a lot of momentum because you know uh, the More Act, the Safe Banking Act, these are all going to have to be voted again uh, in the new session. And if the House and if the Democrats control House and Senate, then that some of that can move very quickly through. Uh, Congress.
0: Right, right, there's just so much state right now and you know I have to say it's a little disappointing I think for me to see cannabis become sort of this partisan issue because I know at one point in time it seemed like it seemed like everybody kind of agreed that we needed to start moving forward and that we needed to start making some changes to make business easier for cannabis entrepreneurs and and for all of these states that have things legalized I, I think everyone recognizes that banking is has always been an issue, and that we need to make changes there so it's definitely you know I, I hate to see everything in in the world becoming such a partisan issue, and it seems like that 's what 's become over this last several years. you know everybody's kind of chosen their sides and and nobody wants to flex so i 'm really kind of hoping that maybe. As we start to move forward, that some of those attitudes on the Republican side change. I, I, You know, honestly, I would love to to interview somebody and and find out where that hesitation lies. So it's very, very interesting to me to see what happens here,
1: especially when you have such a, a, a majority of Americans that are in favor of legalization, not just recreational. But when you talk about medicinal, you know, that jumps regardless of party. Right. To to. To, to these to these record levels. And I've talked to CEOs in the industry who, who, who have been frustrated by this partisanship because they were like, this is supposed to be a, a democracy where what the people want uh, is what's moved forward. If the majority of people are in favor of legalization, why are these certain people standing in the way of it?
0: Completely agree, and it's very curious to me. I'm, I'm anxious to see how this all plays out this year. But let's go back and talk a little bit more about this state level. So like you talked about, five more states have voted in some form of marijuana legalization. So how do you foresee this kind of impacting cannabis investment opportunities or the market in general moving forward? I would think this would be a huge boost for, for everyone and especially those investors in those states that are looking to, you know, make that dive.
1: I I think this is actually a a very exciting time for cannabis investing because of not only those five states, which you do have some some multi-state operators that are very well positioned, but because I think this also adds pressure on surrounding states to make a move towards legalization. With those five states, I think now we have another half dozen states in 2021 that could be considering adult use legalization this year. Uh, I think my home state of Maryland, which we already have medicinal, will probably debate adult use legalization. We know, Connecticut's governor has already talked about adult use legalization in 2021. Uh, Pennsylvania's governor, which they already have this booming medicinal market, they're talking about adult use legalization. He has been pushing for it. Uh, And so he's he's basically pushing those, those legislators to make some sort of move. Uh, and then I also think you can you can keep an eye on uh, New Mexico, New York, Rhode Island, uh, and in Virginia having some sort of adult use. Now, with all that being said, thirteen of the 15 states that have legalized adult use have done so through like a, a ballot measure. Illinois and Vermont have done it through legislative measures. So we'll see what happens there in the year ahead. but I think this is a, a very exciting time to be a cannabis investor because, you are seeing this rapid expansion. You are seeing all of this pressure being put on some of these surrounding states to kind of move forward. You know, we have both coasts that are filling in in terms of adult use legalization, uh, and there's this pressure that these states have to recoup. You know, sort of tax revenue. You have to have more jobs put into place. You have to recover all of that damage that was done during the pandemic and adult use legalization or, or some sort of medicinal legalization, that's right there to lend this helping hand on both of those fronts. So I think that will be the biggest impact as we go into 2021, that those five states are now putting pressure on all of their neighbors to to make moves themselves or be at threat of losing those dollars, go to those states that are that have allowed uh, adult use legalization.
0: You know, I can't agree more, and so one of the things that really um, kind of frustrates me from a cannabis consumer standpoint is when I hear people complain about the taxes that we have to pay for legalization, and you know, from my perspective, at least being here in Colorado, for us, we get enjoyment out of hearing how our tax dollars are being used and we're seeing the good programs that are coming from it. We're seeing the scholarship programs. We're seeing the city beautification programs. We're seeing all of these things come from tax dollars. And I actually take pride in the fact in knowing that I have contributed in some way, shape or form to, to those causes. And so I, I really think, you know, from a, just kind of a, a philanthropy standpoint, if people can see their tax dollars from the marijuana industry being put to good use like that, I think they'll have a change of heart, you know, and, and we nobody likes to pay taxes, of course, but I really feel like here in Colorado at least, they're making an effort to at least show us where some of that money is going and the cities are making an effort to uh, really put that money to good use. So I, I am all for it. I think after the pandemic, I think it's kind of a no brainer um, to, to help bolster the economies and help rebuild things, just like you said, so I really hope that um, people kind of open up to the idea that, you know, t- these taxes are doing good. We might not like to pay them, but we we donate our money freely and willingly to to charities and, and this cause and that cause, and we don't think a thing about it. And if you can you see your tax dollars actually being put to uses that that you wouldn't mind even donating your money to, then I think that kind of changes that outlook on that on the taxes there. And I think we'll all see good come from this after the pandemic. So it's it's going to be interesting, I think, to to see how these states build out these new programs. Definitely,
1: and and of course, the cannabis industry also has offers a a higher wage than uh, a lot of other retailers. So that so that's the other benefit there. The bud tenders and 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 growers, any sort of like cultivator. You're, you're making a, a really decent living.
0: That's true. That's true. Yeah, um, you know, in comparison to maybe some of the other entry level positions that are out there that are paying minimum wage, I know the the cannabis industry is is well above that. So definitely, I, I see this being a, a great place for you know people to get their feet, you know, get back on their feet again and, and get re-entered into the job market. I think after this pandemic is over. Now back to the investor side of the market though, as we look forward into 2021, what are the, some of the things that investors should be looking for in this new year? And do you have any like cautionary notes that you wanna give people as they start to move forward and look at this a little closer? Sure,
1: now what I would look forward to is, you know kind of those things that I outlined that there are gonna be these other, I think at least another half dozen states that are gonna consider some sort of legalization in 2021. Um, I don't know if all of them will, <laughs> will will make some sort of legislative move, but that's again, that's showing that expansion of the market. On the cautionary side, I, there's a there's a there's a couple pieces that I really would pay attention to. Uh, first and foremost, I think you have sort of FOMO and euphoric optimism. You know that fear of missing out. You really want to pay attention to. You don't want to go chasing shares just because shares are racing higher and that you think you've you've missed the bottom, you've missed the entry point. Um, I'd pick your spots, wait for any sort of pullback. They're not going to always go up forever. But at the same time, I really don't think as I look out into that that cannabis space, I don't think there's a lot of companies that are really crazy overvalued from my perspective. I think we see, um, we've seen a lot of them really kind of run up over the last several months, especially since that election. But I don't think anything's wildly overvalued because I thought we entered 2020 at these crazy depressed levels. Now, on the business side, there are some aspects that I would really pay attention to and be mindful about. And one of those you kind of see taking place in Pennsylvania and in Rhode Island. These are two states where there have been discussions of the state's running the market right so that means like the kind of proposed ideal in in pennsylvania that adult use sales would go through state-run liquor stores uh and in in rhode island you know that's being thrown around that the state not just regulate the market but actually run it so this would be actually kind of detrimental to multi-state operators generally when you when you have a market expansion especially into adult use you have these players, especially major players that have been sitting there, kind of biding their time, taking a position, waiting for the market to come to them. If any of these states start going towards like the state run or a state run liquor uh, store route, that would be uh, sort of problematic. The other thing to watch, which is seems counterintuitive, and I'd really put it out there as like a, an outlier. Is if the federal government uh, moves too quickly towards some change at the federal level, right? So that would upend kind of the what we have right now, which is the state-run market here in the United States. And though it would be, it has its positives. I, there's also like these these downsides that you have to be aware of. Uh, take a company like Innovative Industrial Properties, a company that I like. This is the cannabis real estate investment trust that owns uh, all these industrial properties across the United States and then does these uh, sale lease backs to cannabis operators. So if you all of a sudden have some major change at the federal level where now there's all this interstate commerce, well, <laughs> there's both parties get hurt on that. One, IIPR would get hurt because its assets devalued. Two, those operators would get hurt because they're locked into these sale lease backs for you know, IIPR, about 15 years is what their their average term uh, left on their, their term is. Both of them would see their, their assets um, really devalue instantly. But I again, as I outlined earlier with the Senate, I, I would put that as an outlier because I don't think that's going to be something that happens right away. But if something does happen right away, those would be an area that, that, I, that I would have some caution. So I think we'll b- gradually see a change at the federal level. Uh, like I said, that Senate—the Senate remains an issue. But those are my those are my cautionary notes heading into this year, because I think we have the the wind at our backs. A lot of members in the sector have done exceptionally well, but again, just not getting caught up in that FOMO, not chasing stuff higher, not putting yourself in a bad position, and then being mindful of these other issues at the state level with the possibility of—and I'm not quite sure. The feasibility of it happening, but the states running the market or uh, a too rapid of a change at the federal level.
0: Right, right. I, I find it very interesting that you that you brought in the the state run businesses because in in my previous life in the tech sector, my last job was with the city of Eden Prairie, Minnesota, and they had municipally run uh, liquor stores there that that contribute a large part of their budget, and. Uh, I, I remember joking with my with my management team in there back in, you know, this would have been 2014 probably. Just as the the legal rec side started coming on board, I said, you know, are you are would you consider municipal marijuana if if Minnesota legalized, you know? And we we kind of joked about it in a meeting. But now it's kind of interesting to see that some states are considering approaches like that, and and it's just fascinating to me to see how it all is gonna. Going to flush out in the end.
1: Yeah, they're just throwing out these ideas at the moment. So, like I said, but those those are things that I, I started reading, being like, oh, well, but this is something to keep an eye on.
0: <laughs> right, right. It's going to be very interesting. So, and you know, up to now, we have always heard that the the ancillary businesses really are the best way to get involved in the industry because you're non plant touching. You know, there's there's the old saying that. Uh, when the gold rush, it's better to be in the pick and shovel business, you know, ha- when that happens. So I think people are kind of looking at the green rush in a similar note. Now, do you feel with federal legalization? Do you think that that advice is going to stick, or do you eventually see more opportunities to invest in actual plant touching businesses?
1: So, personally, I've always been a proponent of having exposure to those both sides. Uh, companies like Grow Generation, uh, Green Lane, Hydrofarm, IIPR. Uh, even village farms international. Uh, those trade on major exchanges. So that's why they're they're more easily available to a much wider audience of investors. Their uh, their businesses are still considered legal by the federal government, even though uh, the multi-state operators, their their customers aren't considered. So Grow Generation and IP IIPR they had fantastic years this past year, both of them I hold in about three different portfolios for my subscribers. So we had IPR gained uh, 146% roughly, plus it continued to increase its dividend. Grow generation, which was my number one stock, my number one small cap for 2020, gained more than 850%. And, and uh, you also had Hydrofarm had a fantastic IPO, gained 160% on its IPO. Uh, Village Farms rose about eighty percent this year, and then Green Lane a little bit more moderate at that twenty-five percent level. But you also had companies like Akerna and Cushco that did really poorly. So that ancillary space had some of your best performers in terms of like growth generation, but also some of those those sort of like bleak areas. So it had the brightest and the bleakest spots in the market. Now. When I I talk about MSOs, I think there's actually a really great opportunity there because when we look at that space, now all of these companies are seeing their revenues grow by a pretty substantial margin. But you had companies like uh, Curaleaf, which is the largest multi-state operator in this country. Uh, Its shares almost doubled this year, Green Thumb Industries and TrueLeaf. Both saw their shares more than double. Planet Thirteen, that that kind of uh, Dave and Buster's dispensary operator out of uh, Las Vegas, their shares ran up more than uh, about 200 percent. And then you had uh, Jushi, which their shares shot up 345 percent. So there's there's that 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 difference there. All of them did very very well this year. You saw the ancillary have some of the bigger performances, but we now have these nine American MSOs that are worth more than a billion dollars. That's double, is more than double, actually, than what we had at the start of this year. So this is, that's an, a, a, a really great setup. So I would continue to stress having exposure to both sides of that market, both the ancillary as well as the plant touching. They're both going to have their, their sort of ups and downs. Uh, but they're also gonna see all this growth as the market expands. But here's the situation, and here's probably why you're gonna to continue to hear some ancillary flows can be seen as more safer. And that's because they trade on those major exchanges, the NYSE and the NASDAQ. We'd at a company like Curaleaf. Again, largest uh, multi-state operator, more than $200 dollars $200 in quarterly revenue uh, sees about roughly a million shares traded each day. Throw Generation, largest hydroponics retailer in the United States, sees a little bit more than two hundred million dollars in annual revenue. Sees more than four million shares traded per day. It's that liquidity. That's that biggest difference. That's that. That's the. That's the benefit of the major exchanges. So I like having exposure to, to both, but you have to understand that on those OTC markets, it, it's not going to be as liquid as it is on the NYSE and NASDAQ. But I, I think with 2021, as these markets continue to expand, both are going to be uh, great opportunities. I would actually kind of say some of the MSOs are still trading uh, at more of a discount to their, to their future than than actually some of the ancillary plays, but I, I would continue to have exposure to
0: both. Fantastic! It's incredible to me to hear those kinds of numbers, uh, in in legal in the legal cannabis industry already. You know, I, I just feel like we're we're still just kind of dipping our toes in the water, and we're still just kind of merging into this accepted legal practice. And it's just incredible to me to hear those numbers coming out of out of um, marijuana businesses already. I, I think it's just absolutely phenomenal.
1: It was amazing this year to see that, you know, Green Thumb and, and True Leaf, uh they both became like the the, the and CureLeaf the first companies to report in the sector uh, over $100 million in quarterly revenue. Green, Green Thumb has now reported more than $100 million in, in three consecutive quarters. <laughs> uh CureLeaf is the first cannabis company ever to report more than $200 million. In, in revenue so that, that's that's the size of one I've been stressing over the years of the US market compared to to Canada you know the Canadian the licensed producers have that the advantage of uh, the international markets but this US market is, is very large and you're right we're just at the beginning of this sort of like updraft and you're really seeing some real numbers come in that I think a lot of people wouldn't have believed several years ago
0: right. Right. So now let's dive a little bit deeper into, obviously, my favorite niche. So it's, uh, we are talking on cannabis tech. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about tech companies in, in particular. Are there any that you're seeing for 2021 that, that we should be watching? Uh,
1: yeah, you know, I, I still think in 2021 the focus, you know, ERP, ERM, uh, e-commerce, those are all going to be continue to be kind of bigger players. I would hope to see Acuna. See some sort of some sort of rebound. But the the biggest one on the horizon is that IPO of Weed Maps, you know, WM Holdings merging with Silver Spike to list directly to the NASDAQ. So this is one of those IPOs that kind of everybody has been waiting for, same along with uh, the along the same lines as like ease. Uh and weed maps is following uh that path that was outlined by Cleverleaf uh recently. So I like that company. I like watching for, for that IPO and and see how that's going to go because so that, that is an opportunity that, that that's very interesting in the space because of that platform, because of that website. The other thing I like, uh, there are these two tiny companies, uh, very, very small, that I think are worth keeping an eye on. One is cannabis Technologies. That has the, the cannabis breathalyzer test, which I think will be very interesting considering as the market continues to expand and there's this sort of need for that. And then N-Wave, which does uh, vacuum sealing as well as REM, uh, R, not REM, REV dehydration. N-Wave had a, had, a, had a tough year because it needs to go to places and install its machinery. Because of the pandemic, it couldn't do that. <laughs> no one wanted to come in and run a tests. test. So I think um, both of those kind of have, have good years uh, ahead of them. You would hope to see some sort of rebound. So I like I like all of uh, those. And then I would also, for 2021, I would be keeping an eye on companies like Charlotte's Web, uh, Hemp Fusion, which just IPO, uh you know, CB Sciences, all those CBD retailers, uh, new age beverages, These are companies that they were so reliant on shelf space and retailers at grocery stores. Some of these companies were able to, to, to transition to direct to consumer. But as we start seeing all of these, these brick and mortars begin to reopen, as you start seeing this kind of return to normal, I think it's those CBD companies that could really uh, start regaining a lot of the momentum that they have lost over this past year. And that, that'll, that'll spell a lot of good news for extractors,
0: right? Yeah, that's fascinating. And you know, I think I think everybody is kind of looking to 2021 right now as that opportunity to rebound. <laughs> let's let's make up for some lost time that we had in 2020, and and hopefully, you know, the the whole the whole arrow. Uh, scenario is that you pull back a little bit to launch yourself forward so let's hope that maybe in 2021 some of this setting back and thinking about things a little bit has has given us the opportunity to launch forward then in 2021 it's definitely going to be fascinating i know that
1: yeah exactly i agree with you i think we'll, we'll have a very exciting year and i think there is this opportunity for this big bounce higher
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, Matt, I love having you on the show. It's always so fascinating to hear how things are going in cannabis investing and and to hear your insight in the market. And so I, I hope that maybe we can continue this through 2021 and bring you back here in, in next quarter.
1: I, I'd love to come back. I, I always enjoy coming here and talking with you. And I love talking to your viewers, so feel free to invite me back anytime.
0: Sounds great, Matt, and have a wonderful new year.
1: Uh, same to you.